how on earth did this happen? How did a bank with $212 billion in assets just fail in less than 36 hours and is now in receivership by the FDIC? What on earth happened? Well, we'll talk about it. We'll reveal exactly what happened and essentially how Silicon Valley Bank's asset mix in a post-2008 world, coupled with the fact that it had no hedges in place to stave off the impact of the Fed's extremely aggressive hiking cycle last year, uh, eventually led to a mass exodus of depositors who are seeking higher yield from T-bills, and essentially that whole confluence of factors played into the bank's demise. But before we get into it, make sure you guys like and subscribe the video so you can, of course, get as much of this content straight to your inbox as possible. So let's dive into it. This video is brought to you by Passport, a sleek and easy to use Bitcoin hardware wallet that's taking the industry by storm. Stay tuned to the video to learn more. Well, first things first, we need to talk about the fact that Silicon Valley Bank, as I mentioned, they have $212 billion uh, in total assets. That was their size at the time of their collapse. And throughout 2019 and into 2021, they experienced this mass influx of depositors, right? Obviously, through 2019, the Fed began uh, easing at the margin again during the repo crisis in September. And as it was easing, as it was injecting this money back into the system via uh, quantitative easing, then depositors kept coming to the bank, uh, especially throughout 2020. When the fiscal stimulus put money directly in the hands of consumers and directly in the hands of companies, specifically venture capital firms and tech firms, then Silicon Valley Bank saw a mass influx of depositors. Silicon Valley Bank, of course, as you could probably infer by the name, it services not just normal consumers, but also a whole host of tech firms and venture capital firms. Some of the big names that have been embroiled with Silicon Valley Bank and had their deposits there at the time of its fall were companies like Roku, companies like Roblox and Circle, uh, which is obviously uh, uh, the issuer of USDC, the second most liquid stablecoin, which is obviously now much less liquid because its deposits were unfortunately locked at Circle. But either way, Silicon Valley Bank services a lot of these tech giants, these venture capital giants. And so throughout 2020, not only were consumers receiving fiscal stimulus, but so were these companies. And where were they putting it? They were putting it at Silicon Valley Bank. Deposits rose from $61.76 billion in 2019 to $189.2 billion at the end of 2021. That is more than triple the amount of deposits all through 2021. Now, of course, banks can do two things uh, when it comes to actual cash management, right? They can extend loans, right? So they can build out their loan book by lending money to people, and then that can be an asset for them. Or they can purchase securities, and usually it is a mix of the two of them. Well, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, obviously working with VCs, working with tech firms, um, it does lend out a lot of money, but through 2020 and 2021, because its uh, deposits rose so substantially, what it had to do was it couldn't expand its loan book fast enough, and so it had to reach for yield. It moved out on the risk curve and bought riskier, but higher yielding securities. In order to generate that yield, that couldn't be made up because deposits were coming in, but it just couldn't extend those loans fast enough. And so deposits tripled by the end of 2021, and they were buying risky, risky, high yield securities. Now we'll talk about why they were risky in just a moment. Of course, throughout 2023, we know that 2023 marked the Fed's most aggressive tightening cycle 
Almost in history, since 1994, it was the fastest pace of Fed rate increases for the Fed's policy rate. Of course, the Fed doesn't set interest rates per se; it merely sets its policy rate and then influences, it sets its policy rates rather, and then influences short-term interest rates that way. And essentially, throughout 2023, we saw the most aggressive hiking cycle since 1994. The Fed was hiking in 75 basis point increments. A basis point is just one one hundredth of one percent, as you may know. And this, of course, uh, had a huge impact on uh, investments that had a high sensitivity to interest rates. We call interest rate sensitivity duration. So if I use the term duration for this video, you'll know what I'm talking about. Duration, high duration means interest rate sensitivity, right? How much the price of an investment security will change with a move, a 1% move in interest rates. And so throughout 2023, as the Fed was aggressively tightening, Investments that had high interest rate risk got completely hammered, for lack of a better word. Uh, and so long-end U.S. treasuries fall into this category, right? Long-end U.S. treasuries, the longer you go out on the treasury curve, the more interest rate risk you are taking on. Because if you're locking up your capital for a longer period of time, the chance that as your capital is locked up, interest rates will change and they may change more favorably. That means that investments that are locked up for longer durations have higher interest rate risk. They have longer duration. And mortgage-backed securities are also very interest rate sensitive. And so long-end treasuries and mortgage-backed securities got hammered throughout 2023 as the Fed aggressively rose its policy rate. You could see here uh, on figure 3.1 that I'll put up on the screen right now, the Fed hiked more aggressively since they have since 1994. Quite remarkable stuff. And of course, the high-duration investments took a hit because of that. It was actually the worst year for U.S. Treasuries in several decades, uh, perhaps ever, since the history that the total return of Treasury securities has been calculated. This is actually the worst year for them on record. You could see here up on the screen, this is the worst year for Treasuries ever. This is a chart of the total return index. You could see that it fell 8% annualized, but through the time that it actually fell, it fell 16.62%. Uh, in a year. Now, you must understand, treasuries are on everyone's balance sheet. They lubricate world finance. They lubricate world trade. Everyone who is anyone who wants to participate in world financial markets, they do so by holding U.S. treasuries and dollars. And last year, treasuries falling 16.62%. It really damaged a lot of balance sheets, particularly those who were holding a lot of them. And of course, they fell as a result of the Fed's aggressive tightening. So long-end treasuries, very interest rate sensitive, had their worst year ever last year. Bad news for anyone that was holding them on their balance sheet. Well, who was holding them on their balance sheet? Well, Silicon Valley Bank. This is not this is not news, right? Uh, in the post-2008 world, uh, the regulations were such that banks had to hold more treasuries on their balance sheet. 2008 was a crisis of poor collateral quality. And so in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, the Basel Accords, uh, and, and several other regulatory uh, uh, enforcements were put in place so that uh, quality collateral was emphasized and treasury requirements were put in place. So SVB was just following the rules set forth by the regulatory authorities. And it had a huge securities portfolio because of it. You could see here up on screen their securities holdings. They had a $121 billion portfolio primarily composed of long-dated U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. They had over $90 billion other securities portfolio only allocated to these two asset classes, both of which are highly interest rate sensitive. Now, the way we measure interest rate sensitivity, as I mentioned, is duration. So for every 1% move in interest rates, how much do these investments uh, how much do the value of these investments move? And in the case of Silicon Valley Bank's portfolio, because it was mostly high duration, 
For every 1% rise in rates, Silicon Valley Bank was losing $5.6 billion. You heard me with a B. And last year, we know that rates rose 4.5%. That is crazy. So do you know what that means? Silicon Valley Bank had $25.47 billion in losses on its securities portfolio. Now, these losses were unrealized, right? Meaning they held onto these securities, they hadn't sold them for a loss, right? So essentially, it was stomaching these crazy mark-to-market losses as a result of this interest rate risk in its securities portfolio. Now, I mentioned they were unrealized losses because they hadn't sold them. Well, that was until they did sell them, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Not only did they have this massive interest rate risk, but they had no hedges in place to guard against it. You can see right here up on screen, they had no hedges. Despite the $91 billion of long-end treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, interest rate risk went completely unhedged. They had no interest rate swaps, no swap options, or what are called swaptions, no forward rate agreements, all of these different uh, utilities, all these different tools to hedge out this interest rate risk that are widely available and are widely used were not used by Silicon Valley Bank. So one of the main reasons they failed as a result of this, and because rates were rising last year, they would have been protected had they hedged themselves, but they didn't. This is a baffling display of awful risk management, particularly considering the size of the security portfolio that they were working with. We're going to take a quick break to talk about this video's sponsor, Passport. Passport is the Bitcoin hardware wallet that you already know how to use. With a gorgeous design and familiar interface, Passport makes it easier than ever to self-custody your Bitcoin. No more sitting at your computer for hours or squinting at tiny screens to try and set up a Bitcoin hardware wallet. Passport eliminates all of that. It seamlessly integrates with your phone and lets you quickly view your balance and move Bitcoin into and out of cold storage. Guys, this absolutely revolutionizes Bitcoin hardware wallets, and we highly recommend that you pick one up today. You can go to foundationdevices.com and use promo code BitcoinLayer for $10 off your passport, or just click the link in the description to tell them we sent you. Now, on with the show. Now, on top of this, deposits were also drying up, so their depositors were leaving the institution. Um, Basically, this run on deposits came from throughout 2022. Obviously, activity slowed among tech firms and venture capitalists, and so they removed their they removed their deposits sort of activity slowed uh, within those businesses in general but then there was also this massive flight to short term t bills right if your money is in a bank and it's yielding 0.01% it's yielding nothing why on earth would you hold it there why wouldn't you hold it in something like a money market fund or something like a front end t bill which doesn't have any interest rate risk and it's yielding 5% that's pretty competitive you could take your money out in as short as 3 months 1 year 2 years or you could sell it Right? So that's what we saw. We saw depositors, and this is a, a, something that's happening at every bank right now. Right, Depositors are leaving these institutions in order to go to the more attractive yield of these front-end treasury offerings. And what banks are actually doing to attract their depositors back uh, in the wake of all these regional banking crises is they're raising the, the rate that they offer on deposits. Too little, too late in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, but that was the, the reality. Right, Depositors are leaving their institution for the more attractive and safer uh, 5% risk-free rate, 5% treasuries. So they were already facing an outflow of depositors, but it was exacerbated because what they did was they actually sold $21 billion worth of those that, that $91 billion portfolio worth of securities, and they sold it at a $1.8 billion loss. Now, obviously doing their fiduciary duty, they had to announce this. And when they announced this, they also announced that they'd be doing a $2.25 billion equity and debt mixed capital raise. So essentially what they did was they said, hey, we sold these securities, we lost a lot of money, 
Now we're going to raise some money, right? And so that obviously sparked investor panic. That surprised investors who would have thought that Silicon Valley Bank was liquid enough in order to sell these securities without stomaching a huge loss. But evidently, because they announced that they were going to be raising capital, uh, seemed like they may have liquidity problems. And so that caused a massive bank run. They essentially led to their own bank run through announcing that they'd be doing this very large capital raise. And of course, in the age of social media, uh, you had individuals like Peter Thiel, like um, uh, Bill Ackman, and several other venture capitalists, several other uh, major tech giants uh, tweeting out to get your money out of SVB. And of course, in the digital age, this is really the first bank run that we've observed when social media is huge, right? Um, and because of this, panic spread like wildfire. Uh, a very, very uh, uh, striking image was taken uh, not too far from myself over in Boston of a Silicon Valley bank branch where people were lining up outside the door just like the 1930s. It was rather crazy stuff that was going on. And of course, very, very shortly, uh, the total amount of people who were asking to leave, the total amount of deposits that were coming in, uh, asking to withdraw, right? what's called a deposit call, the total deposit call was $42 billion on Wednesday evening, which is roughly a quarter of Silicon Valley Bank's entire deposit base. 25% of depositors were about to leave on Wednesday night. That is the total amount of volume of withdrawal volume that SVB was facing. Uh, and of course, as a result of this, very, very shortly soon after, on Friday, I was taken into FDIC rec receivership, trading was halted, and now, of course, the bank is being dismantled and uninsured depositors are being covered. Rather, insured depositors are being covered. So that's essentially what happened to SVB. Now, in the wake of SVB, what is going to happen with these other banks, right? Are there other banks in a similar situation? Well, yes. The answer is yes. I mentioned at the start of this video that this was the worst year ever for U.S. Treasuries, right? 2022 saw the worst year ever for mark-to-market losses for U.S. Treasury securities, right? It was pretty bad. And given that Treasuries lubricate all of global finance, they exist on everyone's balance sheet, the value of people's balance sheets and the uh, amount of losses that they had to stomach were extremely substantial. How substantial? Well, across the entire banking sector, and I'll put this up on the screen right now, this is figure 9.3, there were $650 billion. I'll rephrase, there are $650 billion in unrealized losses within the banking sector, right? And that also accounts for uh, every single bank, Right, so uh, from regional all the way down, all the way up to the big four banks, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and Bank of America, six hundred fifty billion dollars in securities that are sitting on these banks' balance sheets that have lost value and are sitting at a loss for them. Right, um, this is pretty crazy, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that post GFC, these banks have a high. Uh, they have different reserve ratios, right? They have a much higher reserve ratio, and they have to keep a very substantial portion of their balance sheet in safe collateral. And U.S. Treasuries are the safest collateral. So now, as a function of this, there are $650 billion in unrealized losses across the banking sector. And I'll put this chart up, figure 9.2. That represents $210 billion at the big four alone. So J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and Bank of America are holding, they're, they're bag holding $210 billion worth of securities that they have lost money on. 
that's quite the nightmare, right? If depositors end up sprinting for the exits uh, and these small re and it's mostly these small regional banks that will not be able to stomach it, right? If these regional banks, as many are, are holding on to investment securities that they've lost out on, they won't be able to redeem all depositors, right? They won't be able to sell those securities at full value and then redeem all of their depositors' withdrawal requests. That's quite crazy. And as a result of this, bank activity has ground to a halt. Over 30 bank stocks have halted trading in markets today. That's quite crazy. But of course, those are secondary markets, those are equities. It doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, what's going on in the banks themselves. However, mostly this is becoming a regional bank issue. Uh, if you look at figure 10.1 here, as a result of the Fed's extremely fast QT, we have seen bank reserves fall to such a level that it's really, really threatening these small banks. Uh, you know, uh, you could see here small bank reserves have really fallen quite precipitously. For the bigger banks, it's not as much of an issue. But for the small banks who don't have as many reserves on their books, for the Fed to be actively removing them is uh, pretty damaging, right? And it could lead to other bank runs and other huge issues, uh, you know, should depositors keep running for the exits at these small regional banks. And it wouldn't come as much of a shock if we begin to see more defaults and we begin to see more FDIC takeovers as a result of what's happening now, basically this widespread banking panic as a result of these huge unrealized losses. And then the banks won't actually be able to uh, redeem all deposit requests. And so that's that's what's happening right now. And, and you could see uh, up on the screen here, the Fed has announced a new program in order to sort of ameliorate this crisis, uh, figure 11.1. And this new program is essentially the Fed has opened up its direct lending facility, its discount window, to more banks, right? So it's lowering the requirement for banks to participate in its discount window. So if banks do have any liquidity shortfalls, they have funding needs that can't be met by other banks or depositors, then they can go directly to the Fed for borrowing. Now, the reason that this new program is under so much scrutiny by myself included is that what they're doing is they're opening up this discount window and saying, hey, you need to post collateral in order uh, to borrow cash from us. And that's fine, right? The Fed does that all the time. Our viewers very well know that the Fed has a standing repo facility where they do this all the time. Uh, banks, other financial institutions, mostly money market funds can go ahead and post treasury collateral and borrow cash against it. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're taking in discounted collateral and then giving out cash at par value, right? So let's say JP Morgan goes in uh, they have $50 billion in losses on treasury securities. Uh, all of their treasuries are trading at, let's say, 50 cents on the dollar, just for an example. They go to the Fed's discount window. They post those treasury treasuries as collateral, right? 50 cents on the dollar. And then they receive uh, par value in cash for those treasury securities. So they are posting up 50 cents uh, on the dollar worth of collateral, and they're receiving $1 cash in return. Do you see the issue here? This is more of a bailout rather than a standard lending operation, rather than a standard repo operation. They're essentially creating new money where there was none before in order to lubricate credit creation. And so while this isn't QE, this isn't QE5, uh, this is much more similar to a bailout rather than an emergency loan program, right? If banks decide they'd like to, right? And again, remember, banks have $650 billion in unrealized losses. They can erase all those losses if they choose to simply by going to the Fed and using this facility and being able to trade their discounted securities who are trading at, that are trading at a very, very steep discount to par and redeem them at par value for a period of time. That's absolutely crazy. And if, uh, for example, if every single bank decided to do this, then you'd be looking at $650 billion worth of new liquidity that gets imbued to these banks' balance sheets. That's basically a blank check, right? It's more so a bailout than anything else. 
And again, this is once again an example of sort of uh, socializing the losses, right? Not necessarily socializing the losses directly out of the public, but taking the behavior of uh, some of these uh, larger banks and socializing them all the way down the spectrum to uh, much smaller regional banks. And I wouldn't be surprised if as a function of this, some of those smaller regional banks that won't be able to participate in this facility begin going under too. This is an extremely exciting uh, scenario. Um, you know, markets are extremely uh, volatile at this point in time. So be sure to continue working on this, continue keeping you updated with everything that's going on in markets. As of right now, as a function of this, uh, rates have dropped precipitously. The expectation that the Fed will continue hiking is basically gone. And the expectation is now that the Fed is completely over and done with hikes. But that is, of course, a discussion for another day. That is essentially what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. The risks posed to the rest of the banking sector it's a very, very interesting time, and the Fed has unfortunately chosen to, once again, although it's not called a bailout, it's essentially a bailout. Thanks again for watching. Take care. Once again, this video is brought to you by Passport, the cutting-edge Bitcoin hardware wallet that is so easy to use, you already know how to use it. It's got a gorgeous design and a familiar interface, just like a cell phone. Passport makes it easier than ever to self-custody your Bitcoin. No more sitting hunched over the computer or staring at a tiny screen trying to figure out how to set up your Bitcoin hardware wallet. Passport lets you take self-custody into your own hands. It seamlessly connects directly to your phone so you can view your balance and move Bitcoin into and out of cold storage with ease. You can go to foundationdevices.com and use promo code BitcoinLayer for $10 off your passport or just click the link in our description. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon.